scripture memory verse tonight, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. If he, for he who sows to the flesh, excuse me, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. little distraction there. So, um, anybody else? Can you speak up, ma'am? Pretty close, ma'am. Everlasting life. Yeah, well, it's it's a little difficult. It's two verses. It's got a lot to it. Anybody else want to try? Galatians 6, 7, and 8. My Bible doesn't, this Bible doesn't read that way. What version is it? Yeah, that's not a that's not really a version, that's a paraphrase. So a well, paraphrase it like what you were saying. Yeah, but a paraphrase does thought for thought, and it's not really a translation of the manuscripts. What it does is they went through and they give you the thought of it. So therefore they can actually change what the Bible says because they're giving you the thought of what the text is, and they may be wrong about what the thought is. So a paraphrase is not really a translation. It's easy to read, but it's not a real translation. I would encourage you to get something that's a real translation. Uh, and, and in fact, I actually encourage people to read from the same thing that I'm reading from. Therefore, there's not as much difference, and you don't have to be distracted by that. But you don't have to. You can get a King James. You can get a New King James. You know, I would stay in the main line, though. NASB. Um, NASB is New American Standard Bible. But I wouldn't go too much further than that because the attack is on the Word of God. That's why we study it. And so if the attack's on the Word of God and every new Bible that they that they print up, they have to change so many words just to keep from infringing like the copyright on this one from Tyndall House. You know I mean, so every time they have to change stuff, so they change it. But a paraphrase really is trying to make it easy to read for you. The New Living Translation is a paraphrase. It's not a translation. And so I would, I mean, it's just really difficult to have a paraphrase because it's never going to be even close to other translations because it's a thought instead of, and so now you've got, it, now you've got somebody trying to give you the thought of the text instead of the actual word for word translation. Like the Message Bible, it's horrible too. It's, uh, that's a paraphrase also. There's several of them. Anybody else want to try Galatians 6, 7, and 8? 
memorized it or want to read it or anything? Okay. So Paul speaking to the church in Galatia, the Galatian region, and I mean, interesting, do not be deceived. You know, that's, that's what Jesus says to us in Matthew 24 when the boys ask him, when will these things happen? I mean, the, 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 the thought of not being deceived is always upon us because we have an enemy who wants to rob, kill, and destroy us. We have an enemy that wants to lead us away. He wants us to follow something that's not the word of God, that's not the truth of God, that's not what God wants us to be doing. The word deceived is the word planeo, and really the word be, which is what's in the original uh, King James, be not deceived instead of do not be deceived, but it's both words are planeo. So you have planeo, not planeo in the, in the uh, Greek structure of it that's in the King James. And planeo means to um, roam from or to cause somebody to roam from safety, from truth or virtue, to seduce somebody or to be out of the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We come to salvation. He brings us to safety. We're safe in Christ and we're supposed to abide in Christ and follow Christ, and learn to know Christ, and have a relationship with Christ, and be, continue to allow His Spirit to lead us. And of course, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And so, the way the, way the enemy works is he takes the lust of our flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. He takes false doctrine. He takes things that are out there, and he seduces us, or tries to cause us to roam from safety, to be deceived. And it's, it, listen to me, he has no power over us, but if we're not abiding in Christ, if we're not learning the word of God, if we're not spending time in the word, prayer, and fellowship, then our eyes begin to look other places, and we are led away by our own desires. And, and when desire is accomplished, it becomes sin. We're the ones. It's not, it's not that the devil has power over us. It's that we don't choose to follow what God has said and abide in Christ and live in his house. And so the reason we're delivered back to his house is to obey, is to learn to follow. And the penalty of sin has been removed because Christ took it on the cross. And the power of sin is being removed as the Spirit of God trains us and teaches us and washes and cleanses us. And it's important that we understand that because if we don't get into the Word of God and do these things, then we just get seduced and we just wander off. And people say, I don't know if they were ever saved in the first place. People say, you know, well, they're not showing any fruit of being saved. So do not be deceived. This is a great warning that we need to know. But in this warning, he's going to let us see uh, what type of evidence we can actually look at in our own life. When we're looking at our own fruit, when we're looking at what we're doing, what's going on in our heart, what's going on in our lives. He says, God is not mocked. Now, the word mocked has the connotation here to make mouths at or to ridicule, to turn your nose up at him. Listen, we, people are turning their nose up at God. People are looking and saying, God's not real. I had a lady tell me the other day that God was a woman. And I'm like, God's a spirit. He's not male or female. So we're not down here in the physical fighting about whether he's male or female or who he is. He's a spirit. 
and you can't even see him, but he became flesh in his son, and now he sent his spirit back to wash us and cleanse us. Let me digress and get back. He's not mocked, though. We can say what we want. We can do what we want. He sent his son. He gave us this great gift, and one day there will be a judgment. One day there's going to be a judgment. He's not going to be mocked. He's a great God. You cannot get around it. You can't put your nose up to him, and he's not going to be mocked. For whatever a man soweth, he will also reap. Whatever you sow. I mean, it's just a law. It's a law in agriculture. Think about it. Never see anybody grow, put beans in the ground and go, boy, I can't wait for them squash to come up. You know, if you put beans in the ground, it's going to grow beans. You put squash, it's going to grow squash. You know, and the squash, they'll, they'll, they, they, those things will, those puppies will go way out. They'll go 20 feet, they'll keep growing. But you know, at the end, they don't come up with beans at the end out there. No matter how far they go, how far they're sown, how far they stretch out, what do we get? We get squash. And so this is the thought that we have here, is that there's a law in the spirit realm also. There's a law that whatever we sow, we shall reap. And sow means, soweth means to scatter. As through the idea of extending out or scattering seeds, like you take them and throw them out. Here you know that, that Jesus gave the parable of the sower of the seed. He also gave a parable of the harvest. You know, but the scatterer would toss it in, in those days. And, and I mean, they do it much more, uh, 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 I don't know, concise nowadays. They don't lose as much seed. But then they would toss it. It would hit some of it would go on to, to fertile ground. Some of it would go out on to, to, to weedy ground. And some would go out into rocks. And so you'd have a different type of root system. And that was his point. But here the point is, is scattering and sowing. And whatever you scatter and sow, whatever crop, that's the harvest you're going to reap. I mean, that's exactly what you're going to reap. It's just a law of, of agriculture. And then we have that same law in the spirit realm. It's a law of life. Listen, we are not talking about, and I wrote it down here somewhere, we are not talking about karma. Listen, I got to talk about this because I hear Christians talking about karma. Karma is a Hindu Buddhism thought. And karma literally means, now listen, I tried to look it up in the, in the, in the Noah Webster 1828. It doesn't even exist. It didn't exist in 1828 when the dictionary was made up. And later on, we put karma into the dictionary, and it means this, the totality of a person's actions and conduct during successive incarnations. See, because it's Buddhism. They believe in reincarnation, that you keep coming back until you get it right. And what you're doing, what's going on in your life right now is they call it karma. You're reaping the actions of a previous life. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. It's your fate or destiny resulting from a previous action. That gets closer, but it's still not God's law of sowing and reaping. Because Buddhism believes in prior lives. And that's, that's false. Hebrews 9.24 says, For it is appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. False religion wants you to think that you keep coming back till you get it right. You get more chances. This is your chance. 78, 80 years, and we need to wake up to this. Karma is from the devil. 
Karma is false religion. Karma is not a word that Christians should be using in their vocabulary when they say, oh, look at that karma, man. And that's what I hear Christians doing. No, no, no. There's a law of sowing and reaping. But you know what? God is so good that he gives us grace even in the law of sowing and reaping. Because think about it. There's a lot of examples of sowing and reaping in scriptures. Um, even Cain. Cain in the beginning. It was the way he was living. It was his heart. It was his countenance. He knew the requirement of God, but he did what he wanted to do. What did he reap? He reaped death. You say, oh, he killed his brother Abel. Yeah, but in the end, he was the one that died spiritually. He was the one that ended up being cast away from God. He was the one. Abel was the first prophet that was killed in the Bible because he foretold by his very actions the truth of God's word. And he brought a, a good sacrifice. He brought an animal sacrifice. He brought a blood sacrifice. And that's what was required for life at that time. And that's why Jesus is our sacrifice for our lives. I mean, there's so many of them. As you look at the lives in the Bible, um, God is not mocked. David, with his family, he wasn't a good father. And David reaped that. His house was destroyed. His house was crazy. Yet God gave him a promise that the Messiah would come from his lineage. But we see all kinds of chaos go on in his home because he did not walk out the word of God the way that he should, even though his heart was after God. Uh, who else is there? I mean, you just go over and over and over. Eli was a priest, and, and he was heavy on other people, but lax on his own family. And his own sons die the same day that he dies. When he hears the news of both of his kids dying, who were sleeping with the women of the temple, they were still in the sacrifice. They were just all out not doing what they were supposed to do to follow God. And he knew it and he would not. And then he was warned by God that he was going to be judged. And he still would not discipline his children. I mean, disciplining children and training them the way that they're supposed to go is a biblical principle. So they call for, they're at war with the Philistines. They call for the uh, 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 Ark of the Covenant. They take it out and the Philistines take it from them. They both get killed. And when Eli hears that news, he falls off the wall backward and dies in the same day that his kids did. Because when we, when we continue to ignore living for God properly, when we continue to ignore his truth, we end up sowing. Now, we might not sow for a long time. See, God is outside of time. God is very gracious. God will allow us to do something for a long time without reaching down and causing us to be disciplined over, without taking us to the spiritual woodshed. I mean, this judgment here of reaping could be even the final judgment. We might think we escaped the judgment of God, but all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The white throne judgment for those who don't believe in Jesus where they'll be cast into hell, ultimately judged for everything that they've sown in the flesh. But then there's saints that come and they believe in Jesus. And then we have to come before what's called the Bema Seat Judgment, where we receive rewards for the works done in the body after coming to Jesus. And then we can lose our rewards completely because of how we live, because of not competing by the rules 
or honoring and obeying and following the Spirit of God. So he says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And reap, of course, is the crop, the sense of the crop coming up. It's the sense of the end of that fruit growing, uh, that there it's going to come to fruition, and it's going to produce the same thing that you planted. It's going to produce the same thing that you planted. So we have to understand that. And so then he says in 8, For he who soweth, so you're sowing to the flesh, living in the flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. That's decay, that's ruin, that's death, that's judgment. Nothing good dwells in the flesh. Now, if a person, this is still a rule for even unbelievers, because if a person stays in the flesh, never, ever comes to salvation and receives the Spirit and is sealed by the Spirit, because uh, if you have not the Spirit, you're not God's, then your ultimate reaping is going to be, again, the white throne judgment, cast into hell. If you keep sowing to the flesh, sowing to the flesh, the only thing you can reap is flesh. You can't reap anything else. Think about this for a minute. Somebody is drinking, and they go out and they drink, and they might start with one, and then all of a sudden they think, I can get away with two or three or four, and they drink and they drive, and they, and they get arrested for DUI. You know what? That's a physical reaping. There's physical reapings down here where our actions cause division between family or between lives or between relationships or with the physical law of the land. But, but if you go on and that physical law arrests you, then there's going to be a punishment for that. That's physical reaping. That's a physical law, but there's a spiritual law because if you keep drinking, you keep living that way, the Bible is clear that the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. So eventually there can be a spiritual reaping where at the end of the age you'd be cast into hell for not obeying and you continue to feed your flesh the things that you want to feed your flesh. Now, um... To be fair, the word drunkard is the word methe, so it means to be habitually intoxicated with anything, not just alcohol. We've turned that into only drinking, but it means to be habitually intoxicated with anything that you keep feeding the flesh and, and pampering the flesh and taking care of the flesh. Guess what? You're going to reap flesh. If all you do is sow flesh, you will reap the work of the flesh. However... What happens if you sow to the Spirit? Look at this. The flesh, you're always going to reap death. Nothing good in the flesh. That's why you're born once, you die twice. You're born twice, you die once. So if you're only born once in the water, in the flesh, born of flesh and flesh, then you're going to die an eternal death. But if you're born twice, that's the only way a man can see the kingdom of God. You're born once in your, the water, and then you're born by the blood of Jesus, reborn. Unless you're reborn, you cannot see the kingdom of God, we see in John 3. And so when you're reborn, then the Spirit of God comes in and seals you until the day of redemption. And so we see the work of the Spirit, and of course God is Spirit, right? God is Spirit. And that's what we need to understand because the Spirit of God, even though we call him the third person of the Trinity, he's very God. He's 100% God, just like 100% God is the Son and 100% God is the Father. 
But think about this. Here's probably the greatest example of sowing and reaping, which is the example we should follow. Jesus Christ. What happened? Well, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Virgin Mary and planted a seed. And that seed brought fruit in the womb. And that fruit was birthed out as the person of Jesus Christ, as a baby. And that baby obeyed mom and dad for 30 years and then became an itinerant preacher for three and a half years. And then that, that man, that preacher who had obeyed everything and never sinned, always led by the Spirit because he was full of the Spirit without measure, he was killed on a cross. He died for our sins. And when he went into the ground, he got back up again on the third day. And this was, he was raised by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. So everything you see is by the Spirit. And so he gives us this great example. Now, if we believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Then we get the Spirit in us to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, to lead us as children of God, to train us, to teach us, to guide us, to wash us and cleanse us. And also, he will take the Word of God, the Word of God, listen, and he will tell us, the difference between flesh and spirit. So we can say, oh, I thought I was so into the flesh. No, the Spirit of God will tell us. He'll use the Word of God and the conviction of the Spirit of God to let us know whether we're sowing of the flesh and we're going to reap death from that. That's not good. That's sin. That's not going to be good. You're going to end up death of that relationship, death of that job, death of whatever that is. It might not be the eternal death because now we've come to God but it's going to be death of something because you're continuing to ignore God's word. In fact, in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the spirit takes the word of God when you read it, and it divides, and it shows you your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and or, or even your flesh can be considered, and then what's spirit? And it can show you the difference just by you reading it, you learn what's true and what's a lie. Just by spending time in it, you can begin to understand, what should I be doing? How should I be living? Because if I sow to the spirit, do what the spirit's leading me to do, follow the spirit in the word of God, in life, ask the Spirit of God to empower me and give me the power to go out and be a witness if I'm doing what's my gifts, what's my gifts, the Holy Spirit? Because see, the gift give, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. So we're talking to the Spirit of God, we're spending time in the Word of God, and then He lets us sow to the Spirit, and then there's going to be fruit produced. Well, what's that fruit going to look like? Life. It's going to look like love. It's going to look, you're going to be walking in the way, and it's going to be joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's going to be evidence that we're either sowing to death or we're sowing to life. We're going to be concerned about other people. We're going to be changed from the inside out according to what we're sowing. And if we sow to the Spirit... We will indeed reap everlasting life. And really it's talking about a quality of life, not quantity. Everybody, whether they're in the flesh or the spirit, everybody, 
is eternal. They're everlasting. Their spirit is here in a body, in an earthly tent, and it's going to live somewhere with God or separated from God. So it's talking about a quality of life, and even further on more, if you look at it, a different quality with Christians. Because if you're a Christian and you're sealed by the Spirit and you go, ah, it's no big deal, I'm already saved, I'm good, I don't have to do anything that the Holy Spirit tells me, which I don't believe you can do, but I think we can just stick it there and talk about it. Uh, then you're going to be judged by and re get rewards or wages for your works committed in the body after you said you was a Christian. So if you do nothing, you're going to get in smelling like smoke at best. At worst, you may not even be saved. So it's important to understand that what is growing in your life, what is growing, if it looks like death, if everything's being hurt, if everything's being damaged, if everything is having destruction um, or corruption in it, and it's not producing life, then we can see the evidence that there's something wrong with my salvation. And God's got, uh, given us a perfect salvation. So if we have the Spirit of God in us, we should want to be following the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, learning the Word of God, and going out and understanding that we're supposed to be a witness and give evidence that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. So I'm, I'm just saying that there should be evidence in our life because Paul challenges us to put ourselves on trial. Is there enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? But see, we're afraid of this today. Right now, it, the persecution is starting to ramp up. It just start, I mean, and it's just a demonic uh, influence in our culture. When, when, when a wicked man rules, the righteous hide themselves, it seems like. And we can see now that it gives the wickedness permission to come out of the closet, to, 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 to go out in darkness and to commit these acts. Uh, but when we shine our light on them, it, it freaks them out. I mean, I was talking to somebody, like I said earlier the, the other day, and, and they got so mad that, that, that they said, well, I don't even believe in God. Well, I think God's a girl. And, and, and they didn't even know what they were really saying. You know, they wanted, and it was so confusing. When you don't believe in God, how can you in the next sentence believe that God's a woman? You don't believe in God. How can you believe God's a woman now? I mean, and, and they don't know what to say, but they want to attack Christian thought. They want to attack the Spirit of God. They want to kill the Word of God. So listen to me. Let's look at this a little different way. Uh, ask yourself, what am I sowing? Have I been living in the flesh when I'm to regard nothing as flesh and blood anymore? Am I just going about my day and everything is about me and my strength and what I want, how I want to do this and how I want to be this? Or am I surrendering to the work of the Spirit and trusting the Spirit to take care of my spouse, to take care of my house, to take care of this? And I'm not talking about, I'm just going to pray and watch. No, I'm you got to put your hands to the task according to what the Word of God says and become a doer and not a hearer only. But are you asking the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom? See, because there's the earthly, central, demonic wisdom that the flesh loves to follow. This made sense. They said, so I said. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says in the Spirit, if you're sowing to the Spirit, you're not supposed to return reviling for reviling. You're not supposed to give that. You're supposed to give them love and turn the other cheek. So it might make sense. Well, they deserved it. I just gave them a piece of my mind. Well, you're sowing to the flesh. So don't be surprised 
when that relationship or that flesh causes you to reap some flesh another way. They might come back and, and throw rocks through your window or something. But, but we're supposed to speak to them in a way of gentleness and calmness, knowing that they are indeed flesh and they're not doing right. So we want to speak to them in love and try to, uh, 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 the Bible says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And so we want to turn away that wrath so that they can hear uh, uh, the spirit of God, the truth of God, the ways of God. You okay? And so what are you sowing? I mean, are you wanting to do, this is something that we had to ask. Listen, God, I want you to change my desires. I want to do what the Spirit of God is leading me to do. I want to do what the Spirit of God has gifted me to do. I want to be concerned with soul winning and the ministry of reconciliation, no matter what goes on. And we see that all of the disciples, we see in the Bible that all the people that were living for God, that's what they did. That's what they did. They didn't care if they even killed them. They were looking for eternal life. They were looking at obeying God. They were looking at doing the will of God. Let's look at John 5. Because there's a day coming, and now is, as Jesus tells the boys here, John 5, 24. Uh, again, sowing is about doing. See, we're called to sow truth and righteousness. We're called to sow the word of God and tell people the truth. And he says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, 524 of John, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Well, who sent him? The Father. We'll see that in a minute in 12. And shall not come into judgment. You're not going to see that corruption we see. But has passed from death into life. Because we were born dead. Spiritually dead. We passed into spiritually alive. And now we're to be led by the Spirit. Most assuredly I say to you. The hour is coming. And now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. See that's when the Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness of judgment. And you hear it that Jesus is Lord. And you believe and you come alive. And he gives you life for your soul. For as the father ha has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. And has given him authority, given him power to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. And then he says, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves really dead, will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good, you guys see that? To the resurrection of life, everlasting life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation or judgment, death, white throne judgment, cast into hell. This is, uh, it's, it's, it's saying, what have you done? Are you doing evil or doing good? Are you sowing to the flesh? All the flesh is evil. Anything you do in the flesh is evil. Sarks is evil. There's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. 
No way you can be pleasing to God in the flesh. Your works are filthy rags to God in the flesh. He doesn't even recognize them. The way he didn't recognize with uh, Abraham and Sarah, he didn't even recognize Ishmael because they had him in the flesh. Isaac was the son of promise. So when we do things in the flesh, God doesn't recognize it. You cannot come to God in the flesh. It has to be in the spirit. But when we do things in the spirit, it's all those who have done good, you're going to rise to the resurrection of life because of what the spirit is. None good but God, and without the spirit, you cannot do good works. There's no way that you can do any good works. And so that's what he's saying back over here at the same time. Are you sowing to the flesh, sowing evil, or are you, is your heart desiring, are you looking to sow or do good and reap everlasting life? How do I know that? Look at the next verse, verse 9. And do not grow weary while doing good. Everyone who has done good is going to rise to everlasting life. And he's already just told us that if you sow to the Spirit, you reap everlasting life. And he's saying, do that. But while you're doing it, don't grow weary because you will reap in due season if you do not lose heart or faint. See, you can't do good in the flesh, but you can do good in the Spirit. So if you're sowing to the Spirit, you can, I mean, here's what we do. We, so we go, oh, Lord, forgive me for that sin. I knew I shouldn't have done that. And I just prayed to you, so give me some patience. I just prayed, so hurry up and produce fruit. See, but it's in God's time, due season. And we might begin living for Christ like I began in 97, and there's lots of things God is still doing. There's still He's still producing fruit in His season, in His time. He's outside of time. You and I are saying, give me patience and give it to me now because I'm getting ready to run in there and yell at Him. And He's like, no. This is where you do good and you don't yell at them. And that's what produces patience. That's what produces love. That's what produces the fruit of the Spirit. When you choose to do good right now, because you know running in there and yelling at them is bad. That's the work of the flesh. That's doing evil. And so we have to begin to obey God by letting the Holy Spirit teach us and remove the power of sin from us. And understand that we don't have to follow the flesh. We don't have to follow evil. We don't have to listen. He has no power in our life. No training anymore. We become new creations in Christ. So when he says, you know, if you sow to the, he who sows to the flesh, or excuse me, he who sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption, death, ruin. He'll be destroyed. That's what you're going to reap anytime you're sowing to the flesh. But he who sows to the Spirit, Spirit of God, who is God, you're doing what you do for God because of what God has done, because of the blood of Jesus. You will, by the Spirit that is leading you, teaching you, guiding you, reap everlasting life. It is a race that we're running. We've positionally been sanctified, but practically we're being sanctified. Positionally saved, but practically being saved. And there's evidence that shows how our heart really is, whether we really have the Spirit in us, by whether we continue to harden our heart. We talked about this Sunday. See, remember, he was not well pleased with the children of Israel in the wilderness. They hardened their hearts, and what happened? He destroyed them in the wilderness. 
ruin, corruption, death. He destroyed them in the wilderness. Why? Because they wouldn't obey. They came to Kadesh Barnea, which means valley of decision. They came to a place where God says, go in and take the land. And they said, no, there's giants. And they trusted in their own flesh rather than in trusting in God in the spirit that God was capable of doing what he said he was going to do. What he said he was going to do, Greg, take them into the land of promise. And he's promised us, promised us an, inter- an eternal inheritance in the heavenly places, but we have to begin to believe him and then begin to have a constancy in that belief and trust him and keep following him and let him teach us to sow in the spirit and not in the flesh. We want to take care of everything in the flesh. And as we begin to do that, he says, don't grow weary. Don't grow tired. Don't stop doing good. Don't stop following the Spirit. Don't stop letting the Spirit sanctify you in well-doing or while doing good. Because in due season, in His season, you will reap if you do not lose heart. We're going to reap one day. If it's, if, it's, if it's not till we get to heaven, then it's not till we get to heaven that we reap. But there's eternal rewards down here, there can be character-changing rewards. Down here, they can be rewards of, of beginning to produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, Therefore, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain in the Lord. As long as it's by the Spirit, as long as it's for the Lord, But you can't make it up and just be led by your flesh and go, I'm just doing religion like everybody else. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing because it's a personal love relationship where the Spirit leads you and brings you to a place where you're ministering to other people wherever you're at by witnessing to them. In due season, you're going to reap that crop. You begin to sow to the Spirit in due season the Spirit is going to produce fruit in your life and give you a hope and a future and inheritance. You don't have to faint. You don't have to lose heart. Now think about this. Let's look at it a different way. Let's look at it a different way. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what are we sowing into our heart? Are we sowing fleshly things into our heart, into our mind? See, because if you sit around all the time and you're not in the word, prayer, and fellowship and, and, and focusing your mind what is ever good, lovely, and pure, and, and, and a good report, if you're not focusing your mind on the things of the Spirit, then you're focusing your minds on the things of the flesh. And if you're focusing your minds on the things of the flesh, guess what? Flesh is being pumped in. Death is being pumped in. Corruption is being pumped into your heart and mind. And so the only thing you're going to come out and sow in is what you're being trained in is death, corruption. So if it's, if it's, if it's secular music, if it's secular books or movies or TV or pornography or whatever you have, if it's not the Spirit of God that's producing it and putting it in your heart and your mind, changing your heart, renewing your mind, then death is changing your heart and renewing your mind. 
and you're stepping back into the transgression that you were saved from by filling your heart and mind with that. And we let that go on all day long in our lives. I mean, even Christian books, even Christian books are not necessarily good for your heart and mind. If they're corrupt, if they're wrong, if it's somebody not listening to the Spirit, they can write a Christian book by their flesh. And then you're sitting there reading it thinking, I got me a good Christian book. And that Christian book's talking about how all these other things that the world is pushing is important for a Christian to do so that they'll see our love for them. That's not the Bible. That's flesh. And if you sow to that flesh and follow that gospel, you're going to end up in hell. You want to follow this gospel. That's why it's important to, to actually ask God to give you a desire, but make yourself read this book. Spend time in this book. Let this book go in and be sown. This is the Spirit. This is the Word of God. That this, this Word goes into your heart. The Spirit of God has a chance to, to put it through your eye portals, into your mind, down into your heart. And then you're sowing. What, what are we sowing into our heart? What are we sowing into our minds? What are we thinking about? Are we taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ? See, that's what we should be doing. When them thoughts come in, maybe I really should do that. Bam! you got to take it captive and say no and cast it out. you got to fight the war. you got to fight the war because if you allow it to go in and make a home, now you're beginning to sow to that flesh instead of the spirit. But when you line it up with the Word of God, well, wait a minute, I don't know the Word of God. That's why it's so important to draw near to God and begin to get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship. So many Christians I talk to, or what we would call Christians, I think that we're, the churches are full of false converts because they've been told that all you have to do is say a prayer and you get to go to heaven. Just, just, just for a moment, just reason with me for a second. Try that with a job. Try that with a job. I went to the initial interview. They hired me. I never showed up. Why am I not getting a paycheck? Why am I not getting rewards of producing fruit here from that job? See, it doesn't work in any other area. You have to show up. You have to begin to do what you said you were doing. And it's not for salvation, but it's because you now have the salvation. I go to work because I now have the job. And then I reap rewards from what I do there. And it's the same thing with the kingdom of God. You've been given a free gift by the blood of Jesus. And if you've really been given it, now you begin to do what the gospel scheme tells us by faith in the power of the Spirit. You sow to that and you learn to sow to the Spirit. It's changing your heart. It's changing you and renewing your mind the whole time. If you keep sowing to the flesh, you're quenching, grieving, insulting, or may not even have the Spirit. So we have to say, I want to challenge myself Am I growing? That's why I always say be always on the grow. You're always wanting to be growing instead of dying. So we don't want to grow. Notice the word there. Notice he's talking about fruit. He's talking about fruit of the flesh, which reaps death, and then fruit of the spirit, which reaps life, produces life. And he says, and, and let us not grow weary. See, because sometimes you can be sharing the gospel. You, I mean, I'm, as a pastor, listen, I can get weary sometimes. And I have to get my eyes fixed back on Jesus and say, wait a minute. I'm not doing this for earthly physical rewards. I'm doing this because I'm trying to be faithful to God. 
And I want to continue to let the Spirit of God be poured out upon me and use me in the life of people, no matter what they say, no matter what they do. I believe we're getting ready to see times, if God doesn't take us home, that they're going to start putting us in jail. They're going to start murdering us in the streets. I mean, this is not to scare people. This is to tell you that there's an evil coming, that if we don't go home to be with Jesus soon, it's going to be bad. Because this death culture has never been about America. Death culture is about killing God and his influence in the world so they can have their own government. Notice there's only two places to sow. There's only two fields to work in. The flesh or the spirit. There's only God's harvest of reaping souls or there's going to be death in the other field. There's only two governments. There's God's government and the government of the devil. Who, who is the originator of sin, who's the one that wants to sow in your flesh. He wants to teach you to be religious. He wants you to follow the synagogues of Satan. He wants you to follow doctrines of demons. He doesn't want you sow into the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. He wants you to keep playing games and end up in hell. Or at least not be influential in what you're doing by sowing to the Spirit. But don't grow weary. Listen to me. God's never broken a promise. God's never told a lie. And he says you will reap. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be pay. There's going to be wages for either the flesh or life, the spirit. There's going to be wages someday. He's going to reward his children. He rewards us now and he'll reward us then. Not just with eternal life, but we'll get to rule and reign with him. In fact, let's just look at it. John 15, let's just look at it. Would you look at that? John 15, sorry. Look at this. John 15 is amazing about this. It's about fruit. It's about doing. It's about abiding in the vine. It's about abiding in the vine. But what's the vine? The vine is the spirit. What's the spirit? It's God. Jesus says in 15.1, I am the true vine. You got that? And my father is the vine dresser. The vine being the grapes, a vine of grapes. He's walking through lower Jerusalem at this time where all the grape arbors are at. As he's walking through lower Jerusalem, they would have seen as he's speaking to them, people actually lifting up grapes Fruit that's been growing on the vine, lifting them up out of the sand. Because in the sand, they would grow, they would get a little bit of bacteria and it would cause them to be, uh, the, the fruit to die. So they would lift them up, they would wipe them off, and then they would take a little rock and slide it underneath them and set that grape back down so as not to bother it. But it was still in the same place that it was at, cleaned up, but now its feet or its person, that fruit is on a rock. So it can be solidly planted and keep growing. And he says, I am the true vine as they're looking at it. And they knew, they knew the Bible. They knew that God had called Israel the vine. I don't know, I think it's Ezekiel. He says, tell me what I should do. I planted, I, I, I cultivated the land. I planted a good vineyard and it brought forth wild grapes. What should I do? Wild grapes, not grapes that are obeying, not grapes that are following, not grapes that are bearing fruit for God, but they were living for themselves. And so here comes Jesus, and he says, I am the true vine. 
And what he's saying is, is I'm the true witness of who the Father is. Israel was supposed to show how good God was. Their people were supposed to pass through their land, and they would go, man, would you look how God has blessed these people here, whose God is the creator of the heaven and the earth, Yahweh. And they were supposed to go, wow. And what happened is they would pass through their land, and Israel, these wild grapes, they wanted to adopt their gods. They wanted to be like the world. They wanted to do what the world was doing. They wanted everything. And the church is doing the same thing again. We get our lead. We're, 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 it's so crazy. We're teaching Bible studies in churches using Gilligan's Island, using Andy Griffith, using all of these crazy things, secular movies and books. And, and we're going, look at the, uh, I mean, look at the uh, uh, love of God in Winnie the Pooh. And I'm like, why don't you just teach the Bible? Read it to the people if you have to, if you don't want to teach it. Just read it to them and quit telling them to look at Gilligan's Island and the flesh. You guys are all like looking at me like I'm crazy. They Literally in the Christian bookstore, they used to have these kits that you could buy and lead people to a small group to see the love of God in Gilligan's Island. And Andy Griffith, who lies on every single stinking show, in order to accomplish his purposes. It's not godly stuff. It's fleshly stuff where you're going to die. Oh, it's nice and wholesome, but nothing to do with God. Except they're alive and they need a Savior. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, the genuine vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of the vine. See, that's what Jesus had to trust in. When he went to the cross, he had to trust the Father was going to raise him from the dead. He's the vine dresser. He's taking care of the vine. And look what he says. Every branch, which interestingly is a messianic term. Jesus is called the branch. Every branch in me that does not sow to the Spirit. No, it says bear fruit, right? Well, you can't bear any fruit without the Spirit. You can't bear any fruit without the Spirit of God. You can't bear fruit in the flesh. So anyone that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Think about that for a minute. You're bearing fruit. You're drawing near to God. You're growing in the Lord. You're sowing to the Spirit. So what does he do? He cuts some more of the flesh off. Oh, yeah, you're doing really good there. But what I want you to know is that in your life is going to kill you eventually. So I want to cut that branch off. That's a sucker branch. It's not got any fruit on it, but it's drawing all the energy from your life. It's pulling all of this nourishment over here, but there's no fruit on that branch. That's what he's talking about. So he pruned you. Because a good vine dresser is going to prune you to make sure the vine is getting all the nutrients into the fruit that's on the vine. Not often to some sucker branches that's not doing anything. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Anybody ever heard that before? Remember when Jesus washed their feet? You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But not all of them, because he knew Judas Iscariot was still in the room. And Peter says, well, then 
Don't just wash my feet, which is your walk. It's your everyday walk. But all of me, and he says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have need to have all of you washed, just your feet. Because just what you're sowing to, just when you sow to the flesh, i got to keep cleaning that up. i got to keep pruning that. i got to keep taking care of that until I sanctify and cleanse you. Same process, same thing he's talking about again. And we're two chapters away. That was chapter 13. He's telling them again with a different, with a different thing, a vine now. He told them before when he got up and washed their feet, and he was a perfect example. I don't know how we got here. We just got here, okay? Being led by the Spirit. <laughs> I don't know how we got here. Where are we at? You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You hear his voice, and it completely, positionally saves you. Completely, positionally sanctifies you. But now we start walking it out. And we have practical walk where we begin to say, I want to obey. I want to do good. I want to sow to the spirit. I want to learn to trust you, God, because I know in your spirit there's life. And as many as are led by the spirit, these are the children of God. And if I walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, Jesus, full of the spirit without measure, never fulfilled any lust of his flesh other than to obey God. Because that was the only lust he had. It was the only desire he had. It was the only thing he had come for was to behold it's written in the volume of the book to do thy will, O God. So that was the spirit leading him to desire to always do what God called him to do perfectly. That's why he said in the garden, he's getting ready to go there. That's where we're going. Lower Jerusalem, grape arbors, over the brook Kedron, into the garden of Gethsemane where he'll be met with a detachment of troops. But he was there before. Chapter 12. Is it chapter 12? Hmm. No, it's not. But he said, not thy will. Not my will, but thy will be done, Father. Remember when he asked him to take the cup from him? Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Listen, sow into the flesh, you're not going to bear fruit. Sow into the flesh, you're not abiding in Christ. Endeavoring to always walk in the Spirit. Ask, and that's not like, ooh. Walking in the Spirit is listening to the Spirit, obeying the Spirit, learning the Word of God, and trying to do good in everything that you do. And there's no way to do good without the Spirit of God. You sow to the Spirit. He says, don't grow weary in well-doing or doing good. That's what we're talking about. Bearing fruit, doing good. Can't do good without the Spirit. And then the one we always memorize, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Not just a little, much. Our peach tree always bears much fruit when it bears fruit. Branches break, it bears so much fruit. Big baseball-sized juicy peaches that run down your chin. I love that. That's what we need in the Spirit is, is, is this fruit of the Spirit coming out of us so that we'll gush out on other people and they will want to know who Jesus is. They will see the true power of God in our lives. For without me, you can do nothing. The flesh, you can do nothing. Without the spirit, you can do nothing. Nothing. How much is nothing? It's nothing. You don't need a calculator. It's just nothing. 
So listen, as you begin to, to sow to the Spirit, you're talking to the Spirit. You're crying out to the Spirit. You're wanting to be led by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit. There's, a, there's always this thought of growing weary because the Spirit's going to produce growth. And then you keep saying, man, it seems like they always are dogging me or they're always saying, or how come I can't fit in? Because I'm talking about Jesus and they don't want to hear it, so they get away from me. And you begin to get weary or tired. What's the word weary mean? Anybody know? Weary. Uh, faint in heart. Utterly, utterly spiritless. Exhausted. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'm just wore out. I get wore out physically. I'm not wore out spiritually. I'm wore out right now physically. Believe me, I work by myself all day today. My body is cramping as I'm sitting here and I'm fighting off cramps. When I was leading worship, my body is wore out. But my spirit is like, I just want somebody to tell them about Jesus. I just want to tell somebody about Jesus. That's all I want to do. But that's the power of the spirit, not of the flesh. My flesh, it can get so weird, I want to go lay down. But the Spirit wants to speak through you and to use you. So don't grow weary because we're going to reap. You, you can always pray for somebody. You can always do good that way. Do not faint because it's getting ready to come stronger. It's getting ready to come more and more and more. Listen to me. Because when, you, when you're trying to do good and you're trying to live for Jesus... And the pressure just keeps mounting from this spiritual. I mean, the flood of, of evil is so thick, you can almost cut it right now. You turn on the TV, and all you see is evil. You turn on the radio, you hear evil. You know, you look at the newspaper, whatever it is, there's evil. You go to work, and people are cussing. You go, you, you see all of this evil. People don't want to live for Jesus. That's the flesh. There's getting ready to be a harvest, though. And God's going to put the sickle in. He's going to separate the sheep from the goat. He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. He's going to separate his people and put them in the barn. And then he's going to bring great destruction upon the synagogue of Satan. Those who live in their flesh and would not believe in his power, his might, and continue to trust him. Do not lose heart. Don't relax. That's what lose heart. Faint not. It means to relax, literally or figuratively, just to relax and go, ah, it's okay, relax. It means to weaken, to grow weary. Listen to me, stay focused. Ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you afresh and anew. Ask God to search you and know you. Try you and see if there's any wicked way in you and lead you in his way everlasting. What, is, what are you sowing into your mind what are you sowing into your heart? What are you allowing to be sown into your life? Is it the Bible and good Christian teaching of the Word of God? Or is it some books that some publisher would publish? Listen, if the whole world's earning to sway the wicked one, and you write a good Christian book, why would a secular publisher publish your book? Unless there's something wrong with it. See, Hollywood's starting to tell us about the Bible. Start, it started all the way back with, and I maybe I might have to go way back in my brain, but I believe it started out with the cartoon of the Prince of Egypt, which distorted all kinds of Bible testimonies. 
and they begin to see that there's money in making these movies. There might have been one before that. Could have been, you know, the Ten Commandments or one of them older movies. Been, they, but they, Hollywood really doesn't have a big interest in making Christian movies until they see that it's lucrative and they can make some money. So then they come out with that crazy movie, Noah. And you know what they do, really, is they sow into people's heart that this is truth. Then they come out with Shaq, which is a book from the pit of hell. That movie is from the pit of hell. That book was from the pit of hell. The author of that book was a universalist that believes there is no hell. And eventually we all get in. And it redefined who God was. And I was even talking with somebody. I had that girl tell me that God was a woman. And really in that book, it represents God as a big woman, a big, a big a fat woman in it. That she, is that she was God in it, in that movie. And that's where we get this stuff. We let the world sow flesh into us, lies into us. We believe Hollywood. We believe the government. We believe stuff that is false. And the spirit of Antichrist has went out to deceive the elect. And all they're after is your money. All they want to do is try to get you in the box office to make money. You need to be in the word of God. And don't grow weary. Don't faint while you do good. Look at here again. Uh, look, at, look at verse, and we'll close with this. Verse 10. Therefore, this is the conclusion he's making here. As we have opportunity. You know what that word opportunity is? The same phrase for due season. Do not grow weary for, while doing good for in due season. It's the same phrase. Let us do good to all. Walk in the Spirit. Listen, when you're even to the people that are in the flesh, even people that aren't saved, you're supposed to do good. You're supposed to be in the Spirit. You're supposed to know how to answer them. You're supposed to be able to do good to them by sharing the gospel with them. But he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Because we're all the same family. Those who would believe the gospel scheme of things and trust Jesus and are walking in the spirit. We should be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in our heart to one another. And that's how you're still sowing into people's lives. You're sowing good. You're sowing the spirit. You're, you're even as you sow and share the gospel. You share it with somebody who's trying to live in the spirit. And you might be cutting away some of their flesh. You remember Lazarus when they when when God come uh, Christ came and he said, uh, oh, he said, come on, quit weeping. Uh, <laughs> he's not dead; <laughs> he's just asleep. I'm sorry, he didn't say it like that. And he says, roll the stone away. And Mary says, or I think it's Mary, it might have been Martha. Oh, but Lord, he's been in there four days; it's going to stink. Is Martha? And you know, when people are dead, they do stink. When they're in the flesh, they do stink. And you can tell. But he said, roll it away. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he come out. And then he told them, unwrap him. See, that's what we do. When we walk in the spirit and we're doing good to especially the household of faith, we're helping them unwrap their grave clothes. We're helping them recognize the flesh in their life, how they're still sowing to the flesh. And then they desire to stop sowing to the flesh. And then they're sowing and that's pruning. And then they begin to sow more to the spirit and more to the spirit. And then we're becoming more like Christ. Like we're bearing more fruit 
But we've all been called out of the grave. We've all been called to new life. We've all been called to live and to do good. And the only way to do good is to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to sow in the Spirit. What are you sowing to? Where are you sowing at? What are you sowing into your heart? Sorry, I'm on a mission here. I wanted to tell you that Lazarus means whom God helps. Isn't that amazing? He calls us out of the tomb and he helps us. Well, how does he help us, Greg? By putting us in a new family and a new body and the people around us are supposed to be sowing to the Spirit and helping us unwrap the grave clothes so that we cut away the flesh of our lives. And iron sharpens iron. So does the countenance of another sharpen uh, the countenance of his friend. And we're sharpening one another and we're helping one another to walk in the Spirit. But if this, the devil isolates us and then decimates us, he destroys us. We're sowing to the flesh. We're out there reaping death instead of being in fellowship and in the Word of God. And that's how he kills us. Listen, last verse, and we'll close. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I want you to see, and we just read this if you're reading in the schedule. John 12. 44. Listen, why do I encourage you to stay in the Word of God? Look what he says here uh, in John 12, 44 and following, and I'll close. I'm just going to read it. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, who puts their spiritual well-being trust in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Didn't he just say that in chapter 5? You believe in the Father. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. You see the Father. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. No, you're supposed to abide in Christ and bear more fruit. And if anyone hears, this word hear is not just to hear with your ear. It's to hear with intent to obey. My words and does not trust, does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. Look at this. What's going to judge you at the white throne? What's going to judge you at the Bema seat? The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. This word right here is judging our life. Are we sowing in the spirit or sowing to the flesh? This word tells us. What we're doing. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. What is that command? If this, is the, this is the word for an authoritative prescription. He brought an authoritative prescription. His word, his life, his blood. That we would obey and walk in the spirit and sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. What should I say and what I should, or excuse me, he gave him authoritative prescription of what he should say and what he should speak. And I, and I know that his authoritative prescription is everlasting life. What was it? It's that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. 
all would change their mind. All would follow Jesus. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. He's, he's obeying. He's sowing to the Spirit. He's following what the Spirit is leading him to do because of the Father, the vine dresser's plan. Are we endeavoring to do that? Listen, nobody's going to do it perfectly, but we should begin this race. We should begin this relationship, not with going to an altar and saying a prayer, but asking the Holy Spirit to seal us and lead us. We know that the Bible tells us in Luke eleven thirteen 13, uh, that if we be in evil, know how to give our children good gifts, how much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? This is how we get saved. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit as we change our mind and we receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we're led by him. And then he begins to produce fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold until we reach the throne room and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. See, we have rest now, we have peace now. But then he's going to say, enter into my rest. It's going to be finished. It's finished now. To tell us, die. It is finished. But practically, we still have to make it there and get across the finish line. Positionally, it's done deal because of Christ. So what are you sowing to? Sow into the flesh? Better stop. Better repent. Or you're going to reap everlasting death hellfire, corruption. Smallly in your life, day-to-day -day relationships, day-to-day -day life, but in a big way at the end of life, judgment. And it's the same thing in the spirit. There's evidence that's available. Are we growing fruit in our lives where relationships are different? We hush our mouth. We're not doing the same things we used to do. And we're looking to win souls. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, I need to give you next week. I'm sorry. Next week's verse. Acts 3.19. Put you right back in the same place. Acts 3.19. What we're supposed to be doing. Anybody know it? We've done it before. Acts 3.19. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 3.19. See, that's where we want to be, in the presence of the Lord. We want to always be in the presence of the Lord, the Spirit of God there, sowing to the Spirit. His presence is always there, but we sow to the flesh. We want to be in His presence, sowing to the Spirit. What next, Lord? Where do we go, Lord? Who do we speak to, Lord? Allowing him to use you for his glory and live through you. And you be his hands and feet for him. Father, thank you for your word. Pour out your spirit. Give us a desire to know you more. Lord, help us to repent in our day-to-day -day walk. We know that we've done that for salvation. But we repent in our day-to-day -day work. In our day-to-day -day time. And... Uh, we want to spend time in your presence. Mm. Times of refreshing may come. 
Recovery of breath is what that's about. Your spirit from your presence. Lord, help us to see clearly the evidence of what we're sowing. <clears throat> Give us a desire to sow to the spirit so that we can reap everlasting life, but so that others can hear and be saved from this present evil age. Give us wisdom, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.